Part One, Chapter Twenty Five of Anna Karenina, read for LibriVox.org by Kirsten Ferreri. So you see," pursued Nikolai Levin, painfully wrinkling his forehead and twitching. It was obviously difficult for him to think of what to say and do. Here, do you see? He pointed to some sort of iron bars fastened together with strings lying in a corner of the room. Do you see that? That's the beginning of a new thing we're going into. It's a productive association. Konstantin scarcely heard him. He looked into his sickly, consumptive face, and he was more and more sorry for him, and he could not force himself to listen to what his brother was telling him about the association. He saw that this association was a mere anchor to save himself from self-contempt. Nikolai Levin went on talking. You know that capital oppresses the laborer. The laborers with us, the peasants, bear all the burden of labor, and are so placed that however much work they can't escape from their position of beasts of burden. All the profits of labor on which they might improve their position and gain leisure for themselves, and after that education, all the surplus values are taken from them by capitalists. And society is so constituted that the harder they work, the greater the profit of the merchants and the landowners, while they stay beasts of burden to the end. And that state of things must be changed. He finished up, and looked questioningly at his brother. Yes, of course," said Konstantin, looking at the patch of red that had come out on his brother's projecting cheekbones. And so we're founding a locksmith's association, where all the production and profit and all the chief instruments of production will be in common. Where's the association to be? Asked Konstantin Levin. In the village of Vostrom, cousin government. But why in a village? In the villages, I think there's plenty of work as it is. Why a locksmith's association in a village? Why? Because the peasants are just as much slaves as they ever were, and that's why you and Sergey Ivanovitch don't like people to try and get them out of their slavery," said Nikolai Levin, exasperated by the objection. Konstantin Levin sighed, looking meanwhile about the cheerless and dirty room. This sigh seemed to exasperate Nikolai still more. I know your and Sergey Ivanovitch's aristocratic views. I know that he applies all the power of his intellect to justify existing evils. No. And what do you talk of Sergey Ivanovitch for? said Levin, smiling. Sergey Ivanovitch, I'll tell you what for. Nikolai Levin shrieked suddenly at the name of Sergey Ivanovitch. I'll tell you what for. But what's the use of talking? There's only one thing. What did you come to me for? You look down on this, and you're welcome to. And go away, in God's name, go away! He shrieked, getting up from his chair. Go away, go away! I don't look down on it at all," said Konstantin Levin timidly. I don't even dispute it. At that instant, Maria Nikolaevna came back. Nikolai Levin looked round angrily at her. She went quickly to him and whispered something. "I'm not well. I've grown irritable," said Nikolai Levin, getting calmer and breathing painfully. And then you talked to me of Sergey Ivanovitch and his article. It's such rubbish, such lying, self-deception. What can a man write of justice when he knows nothing of it? Have you read his article?" he asked Kritsky, sitting down again at the table and moving back off half of it the scattered cigarettes so as to clear a space. "I've not read it," Kritsky responded gloomily. Obviously not desiring to enter into the conversation, why not? Said Nikolai Levin, now turning with exasperation upon Kritsky, because I don't see the use of wasting my time over it. Oh, but excuse me, how did you know it would be wasting your time? That article's too deep for many people. That's to say, it's over their heads. But with me, it's another thing. I see through his ideas, and I know where its weakness lies. Everyone was mute. Kritsky got up and deliberately reached for his cap. Won't you have supper? All right. Good bye. Come round tomorrow with the locksmith. Kritsky had hardly gone out when Nikolai Levin smiled and winked. He's no good either, he said. I see, of course. But at that instant, Kritsky at the door called him. What do you want now? He said, and went out to him in the passage. Left alone with Maria Nikolaevna, Levin turned to her. 
"'Have you been long with my brother?' he said to her. "'Yes, more than a year. Nikolai Dmitrievich's health has become very poor. Nikolai Dmitrievich drinks a great deal,' she said. "'That is... how does he drink?' "'He drinks vodka, and it's bad for him.' "'And a great deal?' whispered Levine. "'Yes,' she said, looking timidly towards the doorway, where Nikolai Levine had reappeared. "'What were you talking about?' he said, knitting his brows and turning scared eyes from one to the other. "'What was it?' "'Nothing,' Constantine answered in confusion. "'Oh, if you don't want to say don't. Only it's no good your talking to her. She's a wench, and you're a gentleman,' he said, with a jerk of the neck. "'You understand everything I see, and have taken stock of everything, and look with commiseration on my shortcomings,' he began again, raising his voice. "'Nikolai Dmitrievich, Nikolai Dmitrievich,' whispered Maria Nikolaevna, again going up to him. "'Oh, very well, very well. But where's supper?' Ah, here it is, he said, seeing a waiter with a tray. Here, set it here, he added angrily. And, promptly seizing the vodka, he poured out a glassful and drank it greedily. Like a drink, he turned to his brother, and at once became better humoured. Well, enough of Sergey Ivanovitch. I'm glad to see you, anyway. After all's said and done, we're not strangers. Come, have a drink. Tell me what you're doing, he went on, greedily munching a piece of bread and pouring out another glassful. How are you living? I live alone in the country, as I used to. "'I'm busy looking after the land,' answered Constantine, watching with horror the greediness with which his brother ate and drank, and trying to conceal that he noticed it. "'Why don't you get married?' "'It hasn't happened so,' Constantine answered, reddening a little. "'Why not? For me, now everything's at an end. I've made a mess of my life. But this I've said, and I say still, that if my share had been given me when I needed it, my whole life would have been different.' Constantine made haste to change the conversation. "'Do you know your little Vanya's with me, a clerk in the counting-house at Pokrovsko?' Nikolai jerked his head and sank into thought. "'Yes, tell me what's going on at Pokrovsko. Is the house standing still, and the birch-trees in our schoolroom? And Philip, the gardener, is he living? How I remember the arbor and the seat. Now, mind, and don't alter anything in the house. Make haste and get married, and make everything as it used to be again. Then I'll come and see you, if your wife is nice.' "'Come to me now,' said Levine. "'How nicely we would arrange it.' "'I'd come and see you if I were sure I should not find Sergey Ivanovitch. "'You wouldn't find him there. I live quite independently of him.' "'Yes, but say what you like. You will have to choose between me and him,' he said, "'looking timidly into his brother's face. "'This timidity touched Constantine. "'If you want to hear my confession of faith on the subject, "'I tell you that in your quarrel with Sergey Ivanovitch I take neither side. "'You're both wrong. You're more wrong externally, and he inwardly.' "'Ah, you see that, you see that!' Nikolai shouted joyfully. "'but I personally value friendly relations with you more, because—why, why?' Constantine could not say that he valued it more because Nikolai was unhappy and needed affection, but Nikolai knew that this was just what he meant to say, and scowling he took up the vodka again. "'Enough, Nikolai Dmitrievich,' said Maria Nikolaevna, stretching out her plump, bare arm toward the decanter. "'Let it be! Don't insist! I'll beat you!' he shouted." Maria Nikolaevna smiled a sweet and good-humoured smile, which was at once reflected on Nikolai's face, and she took the bottle. "'And do you suppose she understands nothing?' said Nikolai. "'She understands it all better than any of us. Isn't it true there's something good and sweet in her?' "'Were you never before in Moscow?' Constantine said to her, for the sake of saying something. "'Only you mustn't be polite and stiff with her. It frightens her. Nobody ever spoke to her so but the justices of the peace who tried her for getting out of a house of ill fame. Mercy on us, the senselessness in the world!' he cried suddenly. "'These new institutions, these justices of the peace, rural councils, what hideousness it all is!' And he began to enlarge on his counters with the new institutions. Constantin Levine heard him, and the disbelief in the sense of all public institutions which he shared with him, and often expressed, was distasteful to him now from his brother's lips." "'In another world we shall understand it all,' he said lightly. 
"'In another world? I don't like that other world. I don't like it,' he said, letting his scared eyes rest on his brother's eyes. "'Here one would think that to get out of all the baseness and the mess, one's own and other people's would be a good thing, and yet I'm afraid of death, awfully afraid of death.' He shuddered. "'Do drink something. Would you like some champagne? Or shall we go somewhere? Let's go to the gypsies. Do you know I have got so fond of the gypsies and Russian songs?' His speech had begun to falter, and he passed abruptly from one subject to another. Konstantin, with the help of Masha, persuaded him not to go out anywhere, and got him to bed, hopelessly drunk. Masha promised to write to Konstantin in case of need, and to persuade Nikolai Levine to go and stay with his brother. End of chapter 25 This recording is in the public domain.